So this evening's reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 3 and verses 14 to 21. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with the might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be fulfilled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So speaks God's word. That's our first slide comes up. It's uh, to remind me that there are a couple of things that I want to uh, say at the very outset. Uh, the first thing is I, I want to make it abundantly clear that prayer is not a gift. Uh, there are many gifts that uh, we read of in the scriptures, but prayer is not one of them. Prayer is a privilege that you and I have uh, that we may communicate with God. And uh, we need to uh, remind ourselves of that. Uh, the other thing that I, that I want to say at the outset is this. Um, I, I'm not here for any special reason uh, that I have any uh, particular power myself in prayer. And uh, one of the, I suppose, the, the things uh, that uh, in my Christian experience has been important and I I will explain in a moment just uh, how that has come about, and is, is prayer. And it, I have been excited and thrilled by what I have seen God do in answer to prayer. Not only in, in our own personal uh, family and church life, uh, but on beach missions as well. Uh, so I, I don't come with uh, any particular degree or and medal or anything like that and in relation to prayer uh, just that humbly uh, I have experienced many answers uh, 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 to prayer and I want to share some, something of what God's word uh, says to us about prayer and uh, I have a little toy here uh, I got the right way around and uh, somebody said this to me recently um, why pray when you can worry. Uh, why indeed? But uh, and I think that the chap was really just uh, having me on. I hope he was. Um, now, uh, there were two major influences in my young life. As a teenager, uh, I was brought up in, in a congregational church, not this particular one. This is Abbot's Cross Congregational Church, the sister church to the one I was brought up in. And our two churches combined together, um, usually on a Friday evening, to, to do door-to-door work in one of the largest housing estates, as it was then, um, in the United Kingdom, a place called Rathcrew. And we uh, used to go around the doors in the early evening, and uh, then come into this church building at 10 o'clock at night, and uh, when we would come in there, the ladies of the church would have supper ready for us, and once supper was over and everything was cleared away, uh, we would move into um, a separate room to pray. An all-night prayer meeting. 
Not many of those uh, taking place in my knowledge these days. Um, and uh, just to make things uh, slightly uncomfortable to make sure that we all stay awake, uh, we used to have to kneel on a hard floor like that there um, against uh, wooden chairs. And I'm not sure all those 50, 60, 70, 100 years ago that uh, plastic chairs had been invented. Anyway, uh, where, where we prayed, um, about 30, 40, sometimes 50 men would gather to pray for that form of evangelism in that estate. And there was one man stood out um, in my mind, uh, a chap called Jimmy. We called him Big Jimmy. He worked in the shipyard, Harnham and Wolfs, and he was a riveter, and uh, his hearing was somewhat deficient. So when I prayed, he had to pray very loudly so that everybody could hear him. And every now and again, he would thump the chair just to make sure that we were all staying awake. Anyway, this particular evening, uh, Big Jimmy was praying in his usual form by 2 o'clock in the morning. And uh, if any of us had been sort of dozing off, we suddenly came back to wakefulness again. And uh, Jimmy was praying and shouting and banging the chair. And then suddenly there's this almighty crash. And we all opened our eyes. And there was poor Jimmy lying, spreading on the floor with the remains of the splinters of his chair. (laughs) (laughs) Now that's not exactly the power in prayer that we had in mind for this evening. But it does demonstrate some of the power that there can be uh, in a prayer meeting. Church didn't exactly shake like it did in the book of Acts. Um, when Jimmy hit the floor, but anyway, uh, it was one of the major influences in my life in relation to prayer. Another one was this. And in my home, I was brought up in a Christian home, um, my mum and dad would frequently use uh, this particular term, spread it before the Lord. If there was an issue that came up um, as a young boy growing up in that home, I frequently heard these words, spread it before the Lord. And and I had the memory of those words. When I first started really reading the Bible for myself, um, I discovered that it was Hezekiah, uh, the king, who who said these words. And when when I um, think about uh, Hezekiah, he's an amazing character. And uh, I've often wondered why uh, no one has taken his character in the Bible and, and written about it. I have a number of character study books, um, and even Alexander White didn't cover Hezekiah in his book. But Hezekiah was a beacon in the darkness uh, between Ahaz and Manasseh. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at the mountains that Hezekiah moved. And we could call him uh, the king of prayer in the scriptures. For there were three mountains that we read of in the Old Testament that uh, King Hezekiah moved through prayer. He prayed and he saw genuine change in people's lives and much blessing as a result. In 2 Chronicles 29 and and, uh, the following chapters, we discover how he achieved and what he achieved through prayer. It says that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And uh, uh, what he did was he cleansed the temple and he restored the temple worship. And then as we read on in chapter 30, we discover that he, uh, he kept the Passover. And in doing so, he prayed for others and he encouraged others. Just as I 
uh, was prayed with and encouraged uh, during those all-night prayer meetings in my youth. And then in chapter 31, we read of the results of his reforms. There was proof of genuine change in the whole nation. And we read that Hezekiah, seeking his God, he did with all his heart, and he prospered. Now, I just want you to think about that for a moment. I find Hezekiah to be a very exciting person. As I read about his life in the various portions of Kings and Chronicles and Isaiah, it is remarkable what this man achieved through prayer. I just want you to think about what we have just been learning about him. Restoring the temple worship, getting the Passover restored again, and the whole nation returned to God. I was listening to the radio recently, and uh, I hear that Prince Charles, that when he becomes King Charles, in his oath he is not going to say that he is a defender of the faith. What he's going to say is he will be the defender of faiths. And I couldn't help but think that if Prince Charles, as he becomes King Charles, if he were to emulate Hezekiah and he were to be a praying king, what could happen in this nation? You see, what Hezekiah did would be similar. The whole nation turning to God. The churches that have been turned into carpet warehouses, car showrooms, and cafes and restaurants would be restored back to their original function. And people would be wanting to come before God, worship Him, and pray to Him because their sins have been forgiven. And essentially, that's what Hezekiah did. And how did he do it? Well, there are a number of learning points that we can pick up on. First one is that he had a personal zeal for the Lord. He had this personal zeal for the Lord. And through that personal zeal that he had, he sought to come before God to make a change in the nation. The nation was full of idolatry. The nation was far from the commitment that it had given uh, to Joshua as he entered the promised land. And we see that Hezekiah prayed for them. Not only did he pray for them, he encouraged them. And he received answer to his prayer in joy and blessing. I want to suggest to you this evening that if we're going to have power in our prayer, then we need Zeal, personal zeal for the Lord. We need to be praying for others, that they too may pray and join in our praying. We need to encourage others to do that. And then we will see the joy and the blessing. And then there's this interesting point that we come to in chapter 32. Those answers to prayer led to further tests. The second mountain that he moved has to do with the power of evil that was about to engulf the nation. Second Kings 
chapter 18, we read that he witnessed the exile of the northern kingdom. And that must have been a frightening event for him. As the mighty armies of Sennacherib poured into the country and started to move south towards Jerusalem. And here's the real test. The context. He'd been on the mountaintop with all those answers to his prayers. And now he sees Sennacherib coming to Jerusalem. And it says in 2 Chronicles 32 verse 1. After these things and these acts of faithfulness. He faced this test. And yet Hezekiah was faithful. He prayed and he saw the power of evil pushed back. We go to Isaiah 36 and Sennacherib. What did he say? He said, do not let Hezekiah make you trust the Lord. I thought that was fantastic when I first read that. Here is a king who prays in Jerusalem and thousands of miles away the mighty king Sennacherib of the Assyrians in the city of Nineveh knows of this praying king. And he knows of the answers to prayer that Hezekiah had received. And so he comes and he tries to undermine it and take away from what Hezekiah's prayers have brought. He goes further. He says, do not listen to Hezekiah. And further again, beware lest Hezekiah mislead you by saying the Lord will deliver us. I think that is quite remarkable. Coming from someone like Sennacherib. And it just shows that prayer when it is directed in the will of God will be recognized by those around us. I once was humbled in the work that I do in the hospital. A member of staff came to me, someone that I didn't know all that really well. And she said to me, Wesley, will you pray for me? And she explained the difficulties that she was going through. And I prayed with her, I prayed for her. And it is a tremendous privilege whenever we realize that people around us, looking at us, in one sense, I suppose, assessing us for what we are, recognize that we are a praying people to a God who answers prayer and that has an effect on them. And so Hezekiah prayed and he saw the power of evil pushed back. What did Hezekiah do in response to Sennacherib? He went into the house of the Lord and here's the words. He spread it before the Lord. I want to suggest to you this evening that whatever the issue is that you have in your life, in your church, in your fellowship, in your school, 
in your university, whatever it might be, maybe in the town that you live in, spread it before the Lord. And you don't have to do it on your own. Hezekiah went into the house of the Lord. He went to the temple. And indeed, he sent for Isaiah. And Isaiah came and joined him. And this is his response. This is, these are some of the words that he used to encourage the people in Jerusalem. The army was around and about outside. There was great fear in the city. But what does Hezekiah says? He says, with him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us. There was mighty power in those words. And we need to take those words on board whenever they come before our God in prayer. Hezekiah prays, O Lord our God, save us, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. He wasn't taking any merit for himself. He wasn't trying to be the great king of prayer that could be recognized for his ability throughout the then known world. No, he wanted God to have the glory. And what was the result of his prayer? The result was that Sennacherib was defeated. If you go to 2 Kings 19, you will learn that 185,000 of his army were slain. And Sennacherib returned a defeated man to Nineveh and was later assassinated by his own sons. So what can we learn from this? Well, we can learn that specific prayer brings specific answers. And you know, very often when we, you know, we're, we're in a hurry, and uh, I've done this myself, I, I have to admit, when we're in a hurry, we're not taking our time and in the presence of the Lord. We say, God bless the missionaries. God bless United Beach Missions. You know, God bless whatever. How would you know that such a prayer was ever answered? If God did bless on the beaches, if God did bless on the mission field, how would you know? But if you are praying specifically for particular individuals by name, for teams in specific centers. And those prayers are being answered. You will know. One of my elders came to me um, as I was uh, preparing to uh, give a, a feedback report on, on the missions I, I, I led in, in Ireland this year. And he was telling me uh, that he had prayed for me. And he told me how he prayed for me. And I said, Arthur, your prayers were answered. And his mouth dropped. <laughs> I don't think he expected his prayers to be answered, but they were answered. The next thing we learn is that we should not reap in doubt what we sow in faith. And Hezekiah is a tremendous example of that. He stood for what he knew in relation to God. The arm of flesh was on Sennacherib's side, but the hand of God was on his. 
And the third learning point from this aspect of Hezekiah's prayer was that he prayed so that God would get the glory. But then we come to a point where Isaiah had, or Hezekiah had a third mountain to move. He prayed in great personal distress. And I'm sure you know the story in Second Kings 20. Uh, he was on his sickbed. We learn that he was at the point of death. And to make matters worse, God sent Isaiah. And Isaiah came into the palace, through the courtyard, up the stairs, into the room. And he told Hezekiah to write his will. He was going to die. That's effectively what he said. What does Hezekiah do? Hezekiah turns and faces the wall. He can't go to the temple. He's so ill. He's at the point of death. And he prays a remarkable prayer. He does not ask for healing. And it reminded me of Martha and Mary sending to the Lord Jesus when Lazarus was ill. And you know those words in in, uh, John chapter 11. The one whom you love is sick. That's all they asked or told. The one whom you love is sick. And Hezekiah places himself at the mercy of God as he prays. And poor old Isaiah had probably just run down the stairs, you know, and out across the courtyard. And as he is leaving, God speaks to him and sends him back again. And he has to run back up the stairs. And he has to come to Hezekiah and he says that God has answered your prayer. You are going to get 15 more years of living. What an answer to prayer. But it's interesting, isn't it? When you read the context of it, God promised to heal him, but not immediately. Not immediately. You read it for yourself. We haven't really time and to develop that thought. So the learning points from this. Don't prescribe the answers you think, but allow to do. What's, um, let God, allow God to do what's best. You know, so often we think we know what the answers should be to our situation. And perhaps one of the reasons why our prayers are not answered is that we've got the wrong answer. We're looking for the wrong answer. And we're not prepared to wait on God for those 15 years. God just didn't heal him. What do we read about abundantly above all that we ask or think? He healed him and he gave him 15 years. When we come before God, let's be careful that we don't try to bring God down to our size in our prayer. But let our prayer expand and rise to God and allow Him to do what He knows is best in those circumstances. And along with that, always expect God to answer prayer. But not 
in the way you expect. Goes along with uh, the, the, the first point. Quickly then. There was one occasion when Hezekiah didn't pray and depended on himself. We read about this in those two uh, Bible references. And what we learn is that his heart was proud. You know the story. He had the visitors. He showed them all his treasures. And, uh, you know, Isaiah comes to him and says to him, What did you do? And he has to admit that he failed. The man who moved three mountains, he turned the whole nation back to God. He prayed, and that huge army that had carried off the northern kingdom into captivity was routed. And the evil was restrained. In his own personal circumstances, he prayed. And God answered his prayer abundantly. But when he didn't pray, he failed. And I want to suggest the learning point from that is that you cannot live today on yesterday's blessings. I made reference to the all-night prayer meeting and the influence that it had on my life. But it's no replacement for daily prayer. I still need to come before God in prayer. Day by day. And we need to learn that lesson. Hezekiah failed when he didn't pray. And so it will be with us. Now, some final thoughts. If we are to know power in prayer, then the first thing we have to do is pray. Now, even Irish logic can work that out. The first thing we've got to do is pray. But not any old prayer will do. Prayer that does not move our hearts can hardly be expected to move God. And if you think about what we've been talking about as far as Hezekiah is concerned, Hezekiah's heart was moved. He had a zeal for the Lord. And his zeal And the fact that his own heart was moved, moved God to answer his prayer. So if we are to pray, we need to pray fervently. And we know that the fervent prayer of a righteous man achieves much. And then the second thing, we have to do if we're going to have power in prayer is to pray. We learn that God withholds nothing from those who withhold nothing from Him. We need to pray earnestly. I suppose it's because 
I'm a doctor that I get many people coming up and asking me about diets. I'm not sure whether this has anything to do with it either. But you see, the same people try this diet, that diet, and the other diet. And what they need is not a diet, but a lifestyle change. Now, they don't like the doctor telling them that. Because that means they're going to have to give something up. Usually. And in our prayer, and in our prayer lives, have you ever considered giving something up? That you might show the earnestness of your prayers. There are those who not only pray, but fast and pray. We read in the book of Acts that the early apostles wanted to give themselves to prayer and Bible teaching. And so they gave up a lot of the other tasks to Stephen and the seven deacons that were chosen. Give something up that you may pray earnestly and no power in your prayer life. And then we come to the third thing that we need if we're going to have power and prayer. And those of you who are very alert and still awake will appreciate that it is prayer. When I was or had responsibility for training young anaesthetists, one of the things that we were up against was the uh, comments that other people would make about us. And one of those comments was this, that anesthesia either bores you to death or scares you to death. And part of my job was to ensure that whenever those young anaesthetists faced one of those scares you to death situations, that they were going to be able to cope. And I used to say to them, there are three things that you must do in a scare you to death Situation. The first thing is you give oxygen. The second thing is you give oxygen. And the third thing you do is give oxygen. So now you know what to do. And if you are going to have power in your prayer, you need to pray fervently. You need to pray earnestly. But you also need to pray according to the power that works in us. And in our reading this evening, we know that the Lord can give abundantly above all that we ask or think. But have you thought about the power that is working in us to achieve that? There are three things that I want you to notice from the passage. There are three that's Verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power, with power through his spirit in your inner being. You have the Holy Spirit in you. But that's not all. The next thing we learn is that we have the Lord Jesus Christ dwelling in our hearts. And we also, the third that, are filled 
with all the fullness of God. We are filled with all the fullness of God. And as we pray, let us remind ourselves, we are but mere weak flesh. We have been saved. And through that salvation, God has given to us His Holy Spirit to dwell within us. He has given us His Son to dwell in our hearts. And not only that, but He fills us with all the fullness of God. That is the power that's working in us. Do you know power like that in your prayer? It's there for you. And the fourth thing and final thing is that if we are to have power in prayer, let us pray to Him be the glory. That's what Hezekiah did. One thing I'm very conscious of is many people in rounding off their prayers and not being critical here, maybe don't think that they need to say this in giving thanks in the name of the Lord Jesus. But one of the things that I learned through those all-night prayer meetings was that all that we pray for, the answers that we are to receive, must not be to our benefit or glory in that sense, but to the benefit and glory of God. So let us pray to Him. Be the glory.